Well, we pick up again in John 8, verse 21, so I trust that you'll have your Bibles open to that. After Jesus had said, I am the light of the world, he said, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What a gospel that is. When I was the director of student ministry out in Pittsburgh, I used to tell the female students, don't marry a nice guy. And uh, it took them a little bit to understand what I meant by that. I was obviously a little quirky with them, and so they try to figure out what what I was saying. Uh, Nice is just sort of flimsy. It's a flimsy word. He's just such a nice guy. Um, He might not love Jesus, but he certainly is a a nice guy. Nice is is really a pitiful substitute for more powerful words that I think have more uh, attraction to them. Things like godly or like Christ or truthful or even prayer warrior. In my experience, nice seems to be uh, a word that describes unassertive, delicate, friendly men who always smile and never say anything controversial as to never offend anybody. That's been my experience. Um, Some people think that Jesus was nice. Jesus was not nice. He isn't nice. He's joyful. He's gentle. He's kind. He's honorable. He's even chivalrous. But he isn't afraid to tell people the truth, and he isn't afraid to offend people. Nice is not a word that describes God in the flesh. In the next few weeks, I just want to prepare you for this, we're going to hear some very strong language from the mouth of Jesus. Heavy and hard-hitting words. Not nice words. But if you listen... Closely with the right heart, you will hear in his words hope and salvation and life and joy. As Jesus continued with these Jews, he became more explicit about the horrific consequences of rejecting him. And this is what he said I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, You cannot come. Wow. That's heavy. Jesus said some really hard things. Why would he say something like, and you will die in your sin? Didn't he want friends and followers? We're tempted to cringe when we hear things like that to say, oh man, was there a softer way he could have said that? We almost want to apologize for what Jesus said. Maybe he should have softened it a bit. Jesus didn't care about offending people. He always said what needed to be said at the right time and with the right tone. He wasn't mean. He was truthful. And the truth is good to hear. I want you to see something important. Perpetual seekers will die in their sin. Perpetual seekers will die in their sin. They are the people that are always looking but never finding, never arriving at the truth. They love to seek, because if they're seeking, they don't have to commit to anything. For perpetual seekers, seeking is a way that they justify their sin. It's like the guy who has the metal detector, he's on the beach, and he needs 25 cents. And when he finds a quarter, he looks and says, well... No, I, I actually need a 1954, and he tosses it off. 
Even the truth is not good enough. It's never good enough. Perpetual seekers experiment with with various religions or churches or gurus, at least for a while. And then when they find that it's unappealing or boring or, or somehow unfulfilling, they just keep looking. They ask good questions, but they never seem to settle on the answers. They just love to look. They just love to avoid commitment. They research, they think, they discuss, they read books, yet they never seem to plant anywhere. A few years ago, I was fly fishing in Erie, and I shared the gospel with this fisherman that was beside me. And as we started to talk together, I realized as the conversation was going that he was very open. He had some great questions about Christianity, but he would ask a question, and then I would start to answer it, and he would move on to the next question. He, he never really allowed me time to develop the answer to his first question. And I wonder if he really wanted answers or if he just liked asking questions. Sometimes perpetual seekers are dogmatic. They actually believe in absolute truth. But what they believe isn't absolutely true. Like the Jews in John, they had it right. God would send a Messiah, but they refused to receive the Messiah God sent. They wanted to keep looking. And in their rigid presumption, they missed the truth that nearly smacked them in the face. Like a ship in search of the ocean, they looked to the horizon, past the great expanse of the Atlantic, for another ocean. Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. They would die in their sin, die in their futile, empty and vain search for a Messiah they had just missed. That's sad. Jesus repeated what he told them back in John 7, 33 and 34. I will be with you a little longer and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. Have you ever been listening to someone and you just end up at the end? I I have no idea what they just said. Um, You kind of zone out. you You might be doing that during my sermon right now. Zone out. I have asked people directions. And then as I'm driving away, it's dawning on me, I was not listening to what they said. I have no idea. That did nothing for me to stop. I don't even know what I'm doing. That's the kind of thing these Jews were doing. Sadly, they were listening, they were hearing, but they were not getting what Jesus was saying. They were spiritually zoned out. Jesus was leaving, and they would just stay and remain seeking. They would wait and watch. They would yearn for something that would never come. Their freedom would never come. Their salvation would never come. Their redemption would never come. Their peace would never come. Their joy would never come. They would die condemned before God with no advocate to represent them. No defense to be made before God. No justification or protection from the justice of God. No perfect righteousness to possess as their own, just meaningless waiting and waiting that ends in destruction. Of course they couldn't follow Jesus to the Father because they rejected the Father by rejecting the one the Father sent. Folks, this is not warm and fuzzy. 
This is not warm and fuzzy. This is not easy to hear. Jesus didn't tell people what they wanted to hear. Jesus told people what they needed to hear. He's not concerned about building our self-esteem. He didn't flatter. He didn't smooth talk. He never apologized for God's severity or tried to lessen the blow of it. Jesus just told the truth. At great personal cost, because the truth matters. The truth matters. Jesus said in John 7, 34, you will seek me and not find me. Have you ever been looking for a pencil? And you're, you're, you're looking around, where did I put that pencil? And it's in your ear. I've been there. Imagine making that mistake with a much more serious topic, the Savior. Imagine making that mistake with Jesus, looking and looking and looking for a Savior, something to, to pull you out of the hell that you're in. And you never find one. When he was right there in front of you, being everything that you needed. You will seek me and not find me, he said. You will seek me and you will die in your sin, he said. If you don't find, you die. This is similar to Proverbs 1, where wisdom is personified as a woman crying out in the public square and says, Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. How could they miss her? How could they miss wisdom crying out in the public square? Wisdom answers, because they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. That sounds like John 8. In verse 31, wisdom explains the consequences of not finding. Therefore, They shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. These perpetual seekers sought wisdom diligently, but never found it because they rejected true wisdom and knowledge in exchange for the false wisdom of their own devices. The Jews in John 8 were living out Proverbs 1. They ignored the sin part that Jesus said, and they thought, now where could he go that we could not go with him? Is this freak going to kill himself? A popular belief among the Jews was that if you committed suicide, you would go to hell. And they didn't think that they were going to hell. This kind of passage can wake you up. It's really challenging to think through this to wait around for some other savior, maybe a person, maybe an experience for you, maybe a possession, anything that you're waiting on to deliver you and make everything okay for you. To wait around for that other savior is insanity. It's crazy. Anyone who seeks but misses Jesus dies in their sin. Seeking but never finding is a vain pursuit. And that's tough to hear, but that's why the unless is so magnificent. You will die in your sin unless you believe that Jesus is God in Christ. You will die in your sin unless you believe that Jesus is God in Christ. Imagine that the stock market tanks and you meet with your your investment advisor and he says to, to you, you are guaranteed to lose everything. 
unless. Unless. Now, you would be very, very interested in what comes after the unless. You're going to sit at the, the front of your chair and really lean in to listen to whatever words are coming after he says unless, because that unless is your only hope to not lose everything. Jesus gave a magnificent unless. Verse 23. Jesus said to them, you are from below, I am from above, you are of this world, I am not of this world. You see, they were born of natural descent. He was God incarnate. They were constituents of the evil and dark world alienated from God. He was the light of the world. They were earthly, he was heavenly. They refused to believe the truth. He was the truth. And as you can see, these are incompatible at this point. He reiterated exactly what they needed to hear. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Belief in the person and work of Jesus Christ is the magnificent unless. When you hear you will die in your sin, the only hope is this magnificent unless you believe that I am. This is John 3.18 all over again. Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. The consequence of unbelief, or you could say perpetually seeking and never finding, is death and condemnation. The English softens the, the blow of this, of what Jesus said in verse 24, by inserting the little word he, which is not in the Greek. Jesus said, for unless you believe that I am, unless you believe that I am, in other words, unless you believe that I am the Messiah, I am the light of the world, I am the living bread of God from heaven, I am God, you will die in your sin. There is nothing else to seek for, folks. Belief is complete confidence and trust and commitment to Christ alone. Belief is unreservedly committing to Christ and trusting in what he has accomplished for you. That is genuine belief. Belief is trust. Notice in verse 28, how they will know that Jesus is I am. They will lift him up. That's his exaltation on the cross. It is in the cross that Jesus proves his Messiahship and accomplishes our justification and adoption and sanctification and perseverance and glorification. It is in the cross that Jesus accomplishes our salvation, so proving to be the only choice of Messiah. He is the Messiah, and all that, that benefits of the cross are ours and come to us by grace through faith, through trust, through belief. How radically loving for God to tell us the tough truth through His Son and to secure this indescribable unless by means of His Son. Some of you doubt Jesus. You doubt Jesus. Be honest about it. You doubt that He's enough for you. And you may feel right now in your life that Jesus is letting you down. Withholding something great from you. Is he enough, you may ask? And so you supplement Jesus by seeking after other pleasures or pursuits to fill in where you think Jesus is lacking. Any supplement to Jesus is idolatry. Jesus is enough. 
And I love how Pastor Tullian Chavidjan puts it. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing. You can't add to the goodness of Jesus. Jesus said, unless you believe that I am. And I want you to hear this from me. There is a very real struggle inside of me, a fight, that, I, that I've got to attack the belief that there is some greater satisfaction beyond Christ, beyond Jesus. Sometimes it feels in my life like I'm missing out. But in that battle, we must all believe the gospel that God has given us everything in His Son. And there is nothing more magnificent than His Son. We must fight doubt with faith. Believing that Jesus has told us the truth. Unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sin. What more do we want to accomplish or or see happen or experience than Jesus Christ? God in the flesh. Folks, there is nothing else. Jesus holds supremacy and outside of Him is only death and destruction. And you don't want to find that out the hard way. Now just get real practical. Hasn't the continual disappointment of your sin proven that he is telling the truth? You know, you look to that next thing over the horizon, then you experience it and you grab it and you taste it and then you feel like this is not it. There's got to be some more. Then you move over here and you grab that and you taste that and you experience that and you realize, no, this just isn't doing it for me. There's got to be something more. The more is Jesus. The more is Jesus. It's either Jesus in life or everything else in death. It's that simple. That's how simple Jesus made it. And they had the audacity to ask Jesus, who are you? And I think their tone was more like, who who are you to tell us that we need to believe in you? It seems like they are calling his authority into question. And Jesus said, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. He had been explaining himself all along. From the very beginning, they just weren't getting it. All they could do was accuse him of sin. This is just like a political smear campaign, is it not? You know, I can't win on my own credibility, so I'll just smear the other guy and make him look like a doofus. You know, it's like uh, in 1965, Tom Wolfe was convicted of money laundering and tax evasion and aggravated assault and armed robbery in seven different states. This was paid for by Governor Tom Corbett. It's like, are you serious? Isn't that how it is? You watch these commercials like, this is ridiculous. They're just smearing the other guy. I can't win, so I'll attack him. And that's exactly what they did with Jesus. They couldn't beat him, so they just wanted to kill him. And that's, in fact, where it ended. Jesus doesn't smear, though. Jesus just tells the absolute truth. Look at verse 26. I have much to say about you and much to judge. Oh, yes, he did. But he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. Jesus certainly has plenty of indictments against them, but he appeals once again to the truthfulness of his father who tells the truth, and he simply recounts what he hears from the father The Father is true. He is absolute truth. The Father sent Jesus to declare to the world his message of absolute truth. Jesus is the one who is actually really listening here. He's the only one that's really listening because he's listening to his Father and he's retelling what he hears from God. Divine truth. He's just repeating. They didn't like what Jesus said, therefore they didn't like what the Father said. Look at verse 28. 
I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. The Father has given Jesus the authority to speak His words, to represent God. He is God. His divine words of truth are landing from Jesus because Jesus has earned a doctorate in God. He's not like the Fox News commentators and contributors who are giving their opinion on everything and we listen to that. No, Jesus is speaking with absolute truth. What he says goes. What he says is. It's confidence. What he says is absolute truth and must be received with absolute confidence. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And he said that because God believes that Jesus is the light of the world. The God who created light considers Jesus to be light. And when Jesus said, you will die in your sin, it is God telling them, you will die in your sin through Jesus. When Jesus said, where I am going, you cannot come, it was God telling them the truth through Jesus Christ, his son. Let's get really real. Was it loving for Jesus to say tough words? Was this tough love? They are hearing wonderful words of life. Jesus was a prophet, he was a preacher, he was a herald, he was a a broadcaster of divine truth sent for the purpose of preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. Now there's a really important application that I want you to see here. It's encouraging to you if you think about it. Think about this. The predominant religion in the United States is relativism. There's no belief in absolute truth. And each person determines what is true for them. And this philosophy has changed our country. So if we as Christians come along and say there is absolute truth, and we know where to find it in God's word, then I guarantee we are going to be opposed. And there's going to be great hostility against us in our proclaims of divine truth. And the irony of it all, this is just amazing, is that the world will accuse us of being arrogant and intolerant. Their source of truth is themselves. Our source of truth is God's word, which is outside of ourselves. And they point to us and say, we are the arrogant ones. This is so ironic. And if you say you actually know truth or have the decisive perspective on anything, you will be strongly opposed. Here's the encouragement, though. Stand firm on the word of God. Stand firm on the word of God. Never back down. Always speak the truth in love and never apologize for the severity of God. Contend for the truth with love and winsomeness and humility. And I fall into this too, but way too many Christians fear the world and they fear offending someone and they want to be liked so much by the world that they soften or compromise the truth that actually needs to be said. They don't say everything That should be said. They withhold certain points that would step on someone's toes. Well, as long as there is love in your heart, Jerusalem church, and as long as you are being humble before God, let the full truth fly. Put it out there. Be bold. Stand. Contend. Fight for what is worth fighting for. This takes courage to do that God will provide you. We need to realize the most humble and loving thing we can do is proclaim and apply God's word to the world. It's not our opinion. Not if we're being faithful to the scripture. It's absolute truth. And the truth is always loving, always helpful, and always relevant. 
Jesus proclaimed what he heard from God. He spoke what the Father taught him. And you know we should do the same thing. Speak truth, not opinion. God's word should so abide in us that it saturates our perspective on everything. It saturates our worldview. A truth-filled person is a powerful person. A truth-filled person is an influential person. A person who makes a real and lasting difference on the world. You will have great impact. I promise you, you will have incredible and great impact in the world if you represent the truth well. And you tell people. You're going to see people respond to that because if you look in, in the, uh, the New Testament, in the Gospels, they were so uh, just awestruck and marveled at the teaching of Jesus because he taught with authority more than their scribes. So what happens when you come out and you say, I know absolute truth and it all hinges on the person of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about him. Let me offer you what your soul needs and what it craves for. His name is Jesus and let me tell you what he taught and let me show you in a book that's outside of me. Your power as God uses you in culture, it's just, it's gonna be there, folks. You're gonna make a difference. If you rely on your own opinion, that is just going to significantly tail off and drop. You will have great impact if your words are pervaded with God's truth. Love people by telling them the truth. Tell them what God says. This is why you need to know your Bibles. So that the truth just runs through your reasoning, your thinking, and your words. Truth is power. Wield the sword of God with power and impact in people's lives. You can tell a lot about a person's faith, about their spiritual maturity, by what comes out of their mouth. Jesus said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The more you are saturated, the more your heart is just chock full of God's truth, the more humble and the more loving and the more effective you will be in your witness. Reaching people with the truth. Think of how eternally helpful you will be to others when you give them the truth that they're starving the truth that they're looking for, the truth that they were just waiting to hear, but no one would have the guts to tell them, and you show up and you tell them. Imagine how good that is. That's just amazing how God can use broken vessels like us to dispense incredible truth. And just look at the person of Jesus and the difference that he made just by telling the truth like he needed to tell it. He didn't apologize. And yes, people said, I don't want what you're offering, and they left him. But there were also those that were drawing in. Tell me more. I want to know. I want to know the truth. I've been waiting for that. Verse 27 says, they did not understand that he, was, he had been speaking to them about the Father. How could they miss that obvious truth? He had been explaining it all along. He told them before that the Father sent him, that he came from God, that he was sent for the glory of God. Sin in the heart creates darkness in the mind. Sin in the heart creates darkness in the mind. Because they weren't getting it, Jesus responded like this. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. Verse 27 explains what Jesus meant in verse 21. Jesus said He was going away. He, has, uh, he was going somewhere that they couldn't go. Where? Well, they would lift Him up. Well, what does that mean? This parallels John 3, 13 through 15, which says, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. 
And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of God be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. There is a double meaning here. In verse 27, Jesus Christ must be lifted up on the cross and die in the place of sinners as healing for everyone who looks to Him in faith. But it also means that Jesus is lifted up and exalted and glorified in his death on the cross. Jesus is glorified on the cross where he accomplished the salvation of everyone who looks to him in faith. In his work on the cross, people will know he is God and Christ. Notice in verse 27, he said directly to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. When you put me on that cross... The cross is how we know that Jesus Christ is God's chosen Messiah. The cross is the glorious means by which God purchased us, liberated us, saved us. The cross is how God expressed his divine love for his people. The liberation of Israel was not a political revolution. It was a spiritual revolution. The conclusive proof that Jesus is the Messiah is the cross. It's the resurrection And verse 29 is such a wonderful verse. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. I always do them. The father remained with his son because the son remained faithful. The father who taught him absolute truth is the same father who stood by him and continued to sanction him all along the way. And verse 29 contains one of the most significant Christological verses in the Bible, I think. Jesus said, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Jesus, or, yeah, Jesus and John, recounting it, use this Greek word, pantote, meaning at all times, on every occasion. Everything that Jesus did pleased God. Never in his life did Jesus displease or disappoint his father. He did it all perfect. He is perfect righteousness. Now this brings up something that you need to understand, Jerusalem Church. Many, if not most Christians, if they are asked how they are saved, will answer, Jesus died for my sins. And that's right, but it is incomplete. Jesus did more than die for your sins and remove your guilt before God. So many professing Christians fail to mention the life of Jesus. The life of Jesus as the merit in their salvation. The merits of Christ are indispensable in salvation. Theologians call this double imputation. Don't get scared by that. Hang with me. Our sin is imputed to Christ counted as his, and he paid off our sin debt and guilt on the cross. He paid it to God. And the perfect righteousness, the perfect moral um, life of Jesus Christ is then imputed to us, counted as ours, making us pleasing in God's sight. God is not pleased with you because you do everything right. You can't do everything right, neither can I. He is pleased with you because of what Christ has done for you. This is the great exchange that makes salvation complete. 2 Corinthians 5.21 is is a helpful summary of this. It says this, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. 
Now, how does God make sinners righteous? By having the righteousness of Christ imputed to them by faith. Our faith unites us to Jesus. We are in Him. And we then become the righteousness of God when the moral merits of Christ are credited to our spiritual bank account. Even if our sin debt is paid in full, we still lack the righteousness. We still lack the merits to enter into heaven because our good works are insufficient to get us there. We need moral perfection. We need some money credited to our account. And verse 29 is that. Jesus always does what was pleasing to God. Therefore, when we believe in him, as Jesus said in verse 24, we do not die in our sin. Instead, we live in Christ. We live in Christ because in our union with Christ, when God looks at us, he sees the moral perfection of his son. He doesn't see our imperfection and he doesn't see our good works because they don't mean anything anyway. He sees his son. That is what faith, that's why you need to believe in Jesus Christ to be united to him. So Jesus sees when he looks at you, his son and the righteousness of Jesus. By faith, Christ's merits become our merits. Yes, Jesus is our atoning sacrifice for sin. And yes, Jesus is our perfect righteousness and moral merit. Jesus not only died to spare us from hell, but he lived to give us God. What happens when you trust in your righteousness to please God? If you need Christ's righteousness, his imputed righteousness counted to you, and you tell God, I think I'm good enough to get into heaven, I think that my church attendance... Or how I follow your law is good enough for you to be pleased in me? Do you see what that does to the perfect sacrifice and righteousness of his son? You are in effect by trusting your own righteousness before God saying, I don't need your son. You can keep him because I'm good enough and he is not. Think about this great imputation. I need the righteousness of Christ because I don't have any righteousness to give. And by faith, all of the perfect record of Jesus is counted as mine. It's counted as yours. Just trust and believe. And you have the full righteousness of Christ as yours. And when God looks at you, he says, you are righteous to me. You are morally perfect. I had a seminary professor that said, how righteous are you? And we had to go 100% righteous. Because in Jesus Christ, in our faith in him, you're counted as 100% righteous. Yes, God still sees our sin, but we have positional righteousness. Here's where we're going to end this. God is telling you the truth this morning, the tough truth. Treasure the unless and believe him. It seems as if this passage has a happy ending. The passage isn't done yet, but verse 30 says, As he was saying these things, many believed in him, or many had faith in him. And that sounds like a good thing, right? But in the coming weeks... We're going to see that their belief was a short-lived excitement for Christ. It wasn't a long-term enduring faith. Jesus has even tougher words in the coming weeks. This is only a warm-up lap. He said some things that are absolutely shocking. And when this conversation is finished, they will try to stone Jesus on the spot in the temple to kill him. That's how angry they got at his words. Folks, if all that you hear in Jesus' words is, you will die in your sins, and that somehow offends you as tough love, and you're like, I don't want to hear that, you probably will die in your sins. 
because you would have missed the hope and salvation in this little word, unless. Unless is gospel, my friends. Unless is good news. Hear it and receive it when you believe in Jesus Christ. Then verse 21 is totally reversed for you. If you believe in Christ this morning, this is true for you. I am going away and you will seek me and you will find me and you will live in me. Where I am going, you will come. You will be with me. Many of us have heard the the lyrics. Probably this will totally miss some of you, but it will hit some of you. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Have you heard that song? Don't keep looking. Find what you're looking for in Christ. Let's pray. God, I pray that we as a church would so run and flee to the cross of Jesus Christ that we will find our everything in Him. That we would just stop looking for the next pleasurable experience to somehow give us something that Jesus has yet to give us. We have everything we could ever want in your Son. Help us to see that and treasure Him. Forgive us for our sins, God. I know that I would die in your sin unless God gave me the faith, gave me the gift of repentance and change my heart. And I pray that you change someone's heart here if they have yet to know and trust in Jesus Christ because the reality is they will die in their sin if they don't bow the knee to King Jesus. So I pray that we all do that and that we find in him our deepest joy, our greatest pleasure, eternal pleasures at the right hand of God. These are good things that you give us in your son So God, just increase our faith. Help us not to look to anything else but you to satisfy us because you're the only thing that can satisfy us. And we lay this before you in humility, asking that you continue to walk with us in the truth. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, the song that...